Hey folks, welcome to the DC3Cast. I am Brian. With me as always are Zach and Vince. And uh, just before we start tonight, just a programming note here. We always say that Zach is the MVP of the show, and that is true 51 uh, weeks of the year. But right now, never true. Uh, Vince is the MVP of the show because we're, doing, we're recording during the NFL draft. And if you follow Vince on Twitter, you know what a big deal that is. So, And hopefully you've muted me by now. I have never muted you once, friend. <laughs> I've thought about it. I mean, let's be fair. No, I'm kidding. But uh but yeah, so thanks for uh for doing this, Vince. Oh, yeah. Uh no problem, guys. I don't know. <laughs> Delay. Uh, what, I, I, <laughs> no, I can't uh I can't be responsible for what I say or do when their pick comes up in about an hour, but yeah. So so is it the the NFL draft is a lot like the start of every new Justice League volume, right? Where they like pick the team. It's just like that, right? Yes, exactly. There are yep. eight by ten color photos on a table. Dan, Dan Jurgens writes it, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they just kind of shuffle them around into a combination that looks really exciting, but then turns out to be pretty banal. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, before we get into the comics this week, two little bits of news we want to talk about. This week it was announced that there will be a new live-action Titans series uh, featuring Dick Grayson, Starfire, Raven, and Beast Boy, among others, as well as the third season of the Young Justice cartoon. But both will be debuting not on television, but on a new DC uh, app of some kind. The app has... Uh, there's not a lot of details out, but it says that it will be an immersive fan experience and that it will also involve comic books. So a lot of the speculation is that this will be DC's answer to Marvel Unlimited or something of the like, where there will be a uh, a subscription service for the backlog of DC Comics, but will also potentially host, I mean, not just these two shows, but host, you know, uh, new shows that... uh, you know, that, uh, no, sorry, not just new shows, but also old shows like, you know, perhaps the CW shows or maybe, you know, if we're really going crazy, Batman 66 or The Flash 1990 or Wonder Woman 77. You know, the possibilities are just are pretty endless with this uh, poss- with this app. I mean, obviously, uh, I I don't see it being everything we want it to be. But but Zach, let's start with you. What What would you hope to get out of a DC Comics app? Um, I really would hope for it to just be, like, Marvel Unlimited. Like, if it was Marvel Unlimited plus, like, a few TV shows, um, it would be my favorite subscription service ever, I think. (laughs) Um, Because there's so many, like, old DC books that I've never read that I would love the opportunity to catch up on without spending hundreds of dollars on Comixology. Uh, So that would be, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I think that, you know, just for, you know, every now and then we like to talk about doing these big rereads, right? We, Zach, you and I have pushed uh, the James <laughs> Robinson Justice League of America a number of times as a potential reread. But and I, I happen to have all that stuff in, in trade, or and I think also in singles. Jeez, I need to thin out my collection. Anyway, the uh, but, you know, it would be nice to, if Vince doesn't have those things, to not have to have him either shell out money or go on the dark web to get a you know to get a copy of it. It'd be nice to have a legal 
paid way to do that in with, with relative ease. So that would be that would be a great thing for uh, you know for us and I think for fans in general. Vince, what would you hope to see out of such a service? First of all, I am on the dark web 24/7, 365. <laughs> I'm always out there fighting the globalists. No, um, I uh, yes, I I would pay. You know, right now Marvel is what like sixty dollars a year for the basic subscription for unlimited. Yeah, I think so, it's something like that. Yeah, I think so that's right. Yeah, you know, add in TV shows and and a robust comics library, and I'd pay you know eighty dollars for that, or like maybe eighty to hundred for a year of that. You know, for sure. Um, I mean, think about it. Amazon Prime is ninety nine for the year. And, yeah, and you get a lot of different things with that. Right. So I was going to say, I I think that's like. That would be the ceiling for a subscription service, like, and you have to offer a lot more than Marvel Unlimited to charge for that. I think. Um, yeah. But I, I say sixty to eighty dollars seems fair. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, know, I did... you know they they can pay me to watch their movies, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I throw those movies on there, and that actually devalues the product. So. That's true. That's true. I wonder with, you know, there's obviously lots of of weird rights issues with TV shows and movies, but I wonder if they could if they could license older shows and films like we were talking about earlier and put them on there. How easy that would be to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think one thing I think a logical thing would be, you know, for them to have past seasons or even like the current episodes of the CW shows but I, I don't think that that will happen in whatever form this takes just because of the there was that recent Netflix deal right yeah um, which took them all off of Hulu and everything um, but you know other stuff like the you know the Timverse and and you know, some of the other things I think would maybe be fair game. I don't know where all the rights are and all that stuff, but um, I think it's one of those situations where a lot of times, like for instance, HBO right now seems to have a deal with DC films, right? Mm-hmm. But that might run out in a couple of years or they could renegotiate it to allow it to be HBO and this app or whatever it is, you know, so things like that. I think for current product, I think for all future product that's going to be on the table, I think it's just more complicated when talking about stuff that's been out for a while. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, the other thing I want to talk about, I'm going to let Zach take the lead here. Uh, we were tweeted a theory by our friend Ken Goberson, and uh, Zach's a big fan of it. So, Zach, why don't you uh, intro this segment here? Okay, yeah, so this theory came from, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Kieran Shiok. I believe he's a writer for um, several sites. Uh, looks at CBR, Polygon, Comics Alliance, Rest in Peace. Um, basically, the theory is um, circles back around to our favorite ever, Superboy Prime, that uh, essentially Superboy Prime is actually behind all of Rebirth. He, um, upon returning back to the real world, reads Watchmen and gets ideas about how to improve the DC universe and is the one who's implementing these these Watchmen-esque, you know, 
symbols and and hints and and teases um into the dcu and so this like totally plays into kind of what we've been talking about in the last episode and and just kind of to ourselves about watchmen being less of an an actual physical presence in rebirth and more of just a, a kind of an idea a philosophical um villain almost uh, so I'm, I'm totally in on this theory, A, because I want Superboy Prime to show up, and B, because it means we won't actually see the Watchmen. So what do you guys think? Yeah, we, um, you know, all the credit to, to him for, like, uh, coming up with that, because I, I we didn't connect the dots in that way, but it does converge two ideas that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks, I think, which is, you know, how we would like to see the Watchmen thing done. And also, we've been trying to get Superboy Prime into <laughs> into DC Rebirth somehow, right? By any means. By any means necessary. And so this accomplishes both. And I, I think, um, I think there, I think we still run the risk of seeing, uh, uh, you know, one of our commenters, one of our listeners, Robert uh, Mayland, I believe his name is, um, said when was the last time john's went for symbolism over literal or something like that and i i said god damn it i know that you're right you know yeah um i like i like how a a no offense to our listener but some rando says that and and, oh i agree but i did that for 20 minutes last week and i'm dismissed outright you know you i want to believe and then i sleep on it and you know Sorry. By the way, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Robert, calling you a rando. You're not a rando. You're you're one of my favorite listeners. <laughs> but uh, uh, what uh, what was I saying? About John's being too literal. Yeah, yeah. I still think we're going to run the risk of of actually encountering these characters. But yes, maybe the conflict that that's my real point. Maybe the conflict, like DC versus Watchmen, is not going to be so literal and that's all i can really ask for i guess and this kind of accomplish it can accomplish that if it's done in a certain way it's also john's returning to superboy prime which it's gotta happen Mm -hmm. he's his character yeah for all intents and purposes uh, I actually uh, want to, to swing back to a, to a John's thing and connect our show to last week's show for a second here. Um, first of all, how great was it having Paul lie on the show? Oh, man. He he made our show, like, exponentially better. He did. Paul's the best. Um, but I saw something kind of pop up in the wake of that Dark Matter announcement, which I I, I wish I could say I was smart enough to, to pick up myself. But once I read it, I was like, oh, that makes total sense. Which was that if Rebirth is Jeff John's playground, then Dio and Lee have launched Dark Matter as their own playground. And how this is going to sort of widen the gap that is supposedly already there between John's and Dio specifically as sort of the two big, uh, you know, uh, the, the poles of the DC creative, you know, world. Um, and the rumor is that Johns is not happy that there is this, you know, bevy of artistic talent that will not be available for rebirth titles now because of their uh participation in dark matter. 
I don't know if I necessarily believe that or not, because I don't think that Johns is somebody who... I don't think those artists necessarily represent what Johns likes in comics. Um, but what do you guys think of that idea? I mean, once again, it's like this narrative that uh, is very New 52-esque. And so when I saw it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's also kind of just, I, I don't, I took it with a grain of salt because it's the kind of um, like mongering that was very prevalent in the New 52 and I think warranted. But like Rebirth hasn't really had that that kind of narrative and so I, I mean that may be the case but it, it just seemed a little bit more malicious than I really expected or w- than I really believe you know mm-hmm. plus it made John sound just like really vindictive which I don't get that vibe from him I, I, I've heard some stuff yeah yeah well, this is this is totally uh, totally um, secondhand information, but a, a journalist that I know and that most of our listeners would recognize by name, maybe not most, some of our listeners recognize by name, was supposedly called at home by Jeff Johns more than once, and oh, like boy. argued with over something that was printed. Yikes! Yeah. It wasn't me, guys. <laughs> it was me. It was no. Zach, well, yeah. Jeff, it was nice thinking about having you on the show someday, but... No, He's... I'd still have him on the show in a heartbeat. Technically, he was on the show one time. What? I interviewed him and Jason Fabok before Dark Side War, and it was on the show. That's right. I couldn't do that. Yeah. I missed out on that one, man. But no, I've always wanted I, to talk to Jeff Johns. Again, that is that is secondhand information. But the reason I brought that up actually is just that I think that it's easy for us to both totally dismiss this sort of stuff as saying that's ah, bullshit. There's no proof of that. But I also think it's it's equally like you know these narratives make sense to us, right, to a certain degree, because there's yeah. a certain type of comic and a certain type of comic talent that we associate with being a Jeff Johns type or a Dan DiDio type. And, uh, you know, so it's, it is something I think that could possibly have some legs. I hope it's not true. I hope that everyone's one big happy family over there because things are going so well right now. You'd hope that they'd be working well together. Yeah. Well, you know, what's like weird to me too about all of this is yeah. DiDio and Lee are both in on this, but I don't see them as the creative driving force of, of dark matter. That, feels like it's Snyder. This feels are like talk- Snyder's joint. Are you talking about like storyline wise or Just putting it all together? Putting it all together. See that to, this to me has the has the fingerprints of Lee all over it. I, th- I feel like I'm. I don't know. I mean, the whole like science angle—that's like Snyder to a T. Well, of course it is, but that's that—that's why I was I was specifying between like storyline or like putting it together because because to me this looks like Lee doing doing image without leaving DC. Yeah, it is. It's weird to see this kind of like melding of the 
because in that in the article that that we that we're referencing it kind of i think highlighted like in the new 52 era there were kind of like you know you had the john's stuff and then you had the didio stuff and then snyder really kind of built himself up as like the third pillar of the you know the, the dc yeah. trinity basically and so it's weird to see wait the, so, the, so the trinity now is didio john snyder and harley quinn right yeah that's okay. the, yeah that's the trinity yes um but it's kind of weird to see snyder consolidating with the didio lee camp yeah yeah, agreed. Um, but anyway, I, I'm I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we're gonna get some more sort of information about Dark Matter soon. Specifically, I still don't know if these are miniseries or ongoings. Well, we yeah. did get a little bit more info in that we found out they are all holding the line at two ninety nine, and none of them will get variant covers. I did not hear either of those things. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. And I don't think, I think they're all monthly. None of them are double shipping. Well, that makes sense too, yeah. Other than, other, well then other, besides Dark Matter, or Dark Knight Metal. Metal, yeah. I feel like that, that's a weekly, I think that's a weekly event. Yeah. I may be mistaken, but I thought I had read that. That sounds right to me. But anyway, um, that's sort of the recap of the uh, of the news of the week. So let's get into uh, these books. And the first book tonight actually does have some news attached to it. So um, we're gonna start with the Flash number twenty one, the Button Part Two. But did you guys hear the the Button news from today? Is, is it hot button news? Uh, we can call it that. Sure. <laughs> uh, so Josh Williamson is writing Batman twenty two. Whoa, I didn't see that, actually. Yeah, he is scripting it, and Tom King said that essentially uh, his job is to provide the best Batman book possible, and he feels that Williamson could have done a better job with this, so he is the one scripting it. Oh, jeez. And that the the Flash, number 22, is delayed two weeks now. Oh, boy. So this is not being released, so that we're not going to see that until uh, May, is it 17th, maybe? Whatever that third... It's was... my birthday. Happy birthday to me. Uh, May, uh, sorry, May... Yeah, is it the 17th? Is that a Wednesday? I, yes, I yeah. Either the 17th or actually might be the 24th. Oh, it's man. one of those two. It's delayed a week or two. My birthday is going to be awful. <laughs> it's delayed a week or two, um, um, which is very unlike DC right now. That's interesting. I don't, I don't know. Ugh, that's interesting. Like, I, I... I wonder... Oh, go ahead, Zach. Oh, no, well, I was just going to say, I... I I really liked King's issue and that I thought that was the best issue of Batman he'd written. And so not to tip my hand too much here. I liked King's issue, but I didn't like Williamson's issue. I think I did too, honestly. And you guys know how I feel about Josh Williamson. Yeah. 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 I did. I think I did too, actually. And so, I mean, on one hand, I am kind of okay with this because I, I like when these things kind of have a singular creative vision. Yeah. Um, but I'm also a little disappointed because I I liked King. I liked what King was doing here. I wonder if this is as um, as simple as that there were things that were going to be asked of King that didn't sort of fit the vision he has for the book. And so he was like, well, if that's the case, then let's 
just let Josh do it, let him do his thing, and then I'll come back to do my thing after this is done. I think that's reasonable, and it actually seems it's kind of weird that that um, King is telling you know a very much uh, it's it's a visionary take on Batman. At, at, the very least, you know, and and this doesn't fit into that vision. <laughs> you know, this is this is often left field, and so in the in the grand omnibus of Tom King Batman issues twenty one and twenty two probably shouldn't be in there anyway. Right. You know, yeah, I feel like this is interesting because um, as with so many DC things, like Batman just had to be a part of this, right? But it's really a Flash story. and But bringing in, and we'll talk about the Flash number 21 in just a moment, bringing in the Flashpoint Batman makes it more of a Batman story, but certainly not a Tom King Batman story. Right. So yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting. You guys but, want to hear my hot Watchmen take of this issue? Well, let's introduce the issue first, and then we'll get right to it. Yeah. Okay, uh, okay. So written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Howard Porter, The Button Part 2. Um, give it to us, Zach. Um, so we've all been wondering where and when Dr. Manhattan's little blue Dr. Manhattan would first show <laughs> up. Oh, boy. And I, I think we see it. No. If where, you, uh, where do we see it? Tell us. Turn, Tell turn, me right now. If you turn to the pages where they're running on the on the cosmic treadmill, cosmic treadmill, there's a a long <laughs> cylindrical blue thing with a, a rounded tip that that <laughs> rams into them. <laughs> White. <coughs> Are you serious? I mean, now I can't not see that. <laughs> So you're, you're you're telling me that that they ran into <laughs> Doctor Manhattan's dick, or that his dick ran into them? Yeah, <laughs> that he realized that he should that this is dangerous and uh, like his hands he was he was like cooking soup or something so you know his hands were, were occupied so he just uh, you know stuck his dick out there and let that do the work for him. So so there are questions that I have. Okay. Then. What was he? <laughs> What was he doing with it at the time? <laughs> like, he was... <laughs> oh, God, I can't unsee this. <laughs> was he, like, trying to do the space-time continuum? <laughs> Isn't what, that... else, what else do you do when you're, like, I was a gonna like, say. higher level being? Yeah. I guess, yeah. Oh, man. I'm sorry I, I killed this podcast with my... You never have to apologize for a beautiful thought like that. <laughs> uh, so what did you guys think of this issue? <laughs> Aside from the uh, you know, big blue dick. <laughs> um, You know, it was okay, but yeah, it wasn't... It didn't feel as... Um, <clears throat> It didn't feel as, you know, so specifically honed to being a DC slash Watchmen joint as the previous issue did. 
and that made it a little bit less fun. Uh, but I loved seeing Johnny Thunder. Yes. Show up. Um, I loved the Batman and Barry dick measuring over the their detective skills. That was fun. Um, yeah. Zach, what did you think? Um, I mean, this is kind of like... <sighs> this is... It's 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 kind of jarring almost like how hard they're going back on like everything is coming back you know like we see the original justice league formation we see identity crisis we see crisis we see the like jla trophy room that has just a smorgasbord of, of easter eggs and little nods you know the 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 world agog or what is that what it's called from morrison's yeah uh jla and like you know so many like little things uh so many east like teases and stuff they it's just like everything is back you know it's uh-huh. like the new 52 never happened We'll get into that in a, in another book. Well, you're right. We will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, later on. Um. Yeah. My my big problem with with this book, this week, is just that it was. And and I know that this is in some ways absolutely necessary. And I'm not. I'm trying to be pragmatic about my complaint here, but there was just so much exposition in this issue. I mean, most of the storytelling is told through Barry's first-person narration, and I just get real tired of that as a reader, especially in a in a visual medium like comics. You know, I really want to be to see things instead of be told things, and this issue is very guilty of 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 exposition of being exposition heavy. Yeah. I guess I can see that. Yeah, you're right. It is. A few people had, had, had pointed that out to me when they read it, just saying, like, oh, goodness gracious, could they explain anything else to us? And I know that this is a big event for DC because because of the of the Watchmen connection, so there's going to be a lot of folks reading this who probably haven't read a monthly DC book in a very long time, if not ever. You know, so you have to be accepting of the fact that the new reader is going to be picking this book up and that they should have a, a pathway to understanding it. I just think it, 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 it hindered telling this story by trying to keep catch every single person up on what happened in the you know, 80 years of the DC universe before this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think? This... Par- Go ahead, Zach. Sorry. Oh, you, I was going to, comment on the art but do you have something else no to say I, I, I was gonna say what, what did you think of howard porter's art oh i um i think i liked it i love the coloring for sure the coloring was beautiful um but i think i liked the art too i mean not a, i didn't it, it's uh it's a weird departure from like Faybox art you know the two don't mesh well together at all. They're to me they're kind of in the same school though. They're both like bombastic event book artists, but Faybach to me 
is Feybach to me is a better David Finch, whereas I feel like Porter is a lesser Frank Quietly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I love can, I can see that. I love the way Howard Porter's uh, art has evolved from his Grant Morrison JLA. Yeah. Like, I don't think it looks the same at all. I wouldn't guess that those were the same artists. Basically. No. Yeah. And I love what he's doing now. Yeah, I mean, that is the one thing that I like about that damn Scooby Apocalypse book. <laughs> it, his art is just so interesting. He he somehow, like, he does a lot of, like, squiggly, scribbly stuff on, like, people's faces and bodies and things. But it all comes together to make a really solid... Um, a really solid, straightforward form to these characters, you know? Like, Superman is still very much a chiseled figure when he draws him, you know? And yet he's got all these weird, loopy, you know, almost like almost like the way that uh, Kenneth Rockefort draws hair, you know? <laughs> like, Howard Porter does that yeah. all, over, all over the characters and things, you know? But it ends up creating a really stark image. I love it. I, I love what he does. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I yeah, I I really do like his art here. Um, I just think I kind of overall both on just both counts, I enjoyed last issue better. Um, but this was a fine issue. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't a bad issue by any means. Um, let's kind of talk about the sort of three different big moments here. We see like you, uh, Zach mentioned Johnny Thunder. Um, I think Vince mentioned that. Oh, sorry, Vince mentioned that. My apologies. Uh, you know, teasing the JSA's return. I think more and more that's going to be how this event wraps up. And we don't see... Like, you know, we, we've been told, essentially, that Jay Garrick is returning in this event, right? But I, I can't see that now happening in the next issue of Batman. Can you? Maybe, actually. I don't know. I mean, we've seen the cover for the last for flash 22 or have you seen it i don't know what is it it's uh it's uh i mean it's like spoilery can i say it uh sure are, are you sure because it's really spoilery is it publicly available out there it is it is publicly available. then go yeah, for okay. it yeah okay well it's uh it's it's jay garrick running well he's like burning through the cover of flash comics number one. Oh, i have seen that okay yeah so i mean i assume we're definitely going to get jay garrick either next issue or the issue after that yeah i mean he and could, I, I could see it being the cliffhanger next it, issue. it could be but we're not going to get the story of jay garrick next issue no no so that's actually one of the interesting sort of ramifications of this book is you know i, I remember asking you guys before this started that you think by the end of the button we're going to have any sort of greater understanding about the overall Watchmen mystery. And I think all of us said, yes, maybe we would, but the more I think about it, the more I think that that's not going to be the case that this is all a big misdirect and that this is really the JSA's return. I, I think that's it. Yeah. I think that's, so can you think of like a double meaning that the button might have in relation to JSA? 
I know that comics sometimes like to give you swerves like that where there's something with a double meaning and maybe I, I can't really think of any but when when did um zipper flies supplant butterflies <laughs> was it like around the 40s yeah, that's 50s? what yes yep they're going back to buttons on all the costumes i love it i can't think of a better answer than that uh but yeah um i wonder if the delay in the, the button is going to affect any other book like for instance if the jsa was supposed to show up in the late may edition of superman are they going to have to do some scrambling now because that will be out before the finale of the button uh, i don't know I feel like that there's been enough um, of kind of a delay in these kinds of things. I get, well, I guess not necessarily in Reborn. Reborn was like pretty snappy in dealing with the ramifications of all of that. But yeah, I don't know. Are we going to have like a weird Marvel type situation where all of the books are talking about what happened in the event that hasn't ended yet? Right. Which DC hasn't done in a long time. No. The closest we got to that was how the three of us were spoiled about the return of Wally West because of back matter in preview copies we got for interview purposes. Yeah. And and DC, when I reported that to our rep at DC, he was very upset that somebody had forgotten to pull that out because they really didn't want to spoil anything and they made sure of its secrecy, you know? So I... uh I would think that DC would be smart enough to not have everything pop up the next week. And I also think that because of the nature of the double shipping, it's 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 more likely that all the books that might be impacted would be in the middle of a story arc already. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah, and it also, I feel like, wouldn't be that hard to just maybe push that book back a week too. Right. You know? So if it's just like one, you know, one or maybe even two books, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else the button related to talk about? No, I will say that so far, um, just like at the at the halfway mark, I'm enjoying this a lot more than I did Reborn. Really? Yeah. 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 Huh. Like by far, no contest. When we talked about Reborn, Reborn, we weren't that nuts about it. I mean, I'm mm. su- surprised that you're surprised. I guess I'm trying to think when it was that my enthusiasm went away. Hmm. I, I, it was after the first issue for me, I think. And then it briefly came back at the very end when I realized what the status quo meant. But Well, we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, when was the... Mr. I'm pretty Pitalik. sure. I'm pretty sure it was the third issue. Yeah. But I know I wasn't like crazy about it after the first two. Still, like the the one Tomasi issue was fine, but it wasn't. It was kind of just like a you know, very very much a setup issue. Where whereas I know like Batman was as well, but it was also like a very very strong issue. 
Um, and then the action comics issue was just, you know, fluff. No, wait. Is that right? Was it the third issue that had... Mixie? Yeah. Because now I'm thinking it wasn't. Now Maybe it was the second, the second issue. Because I, I think it was because it was a Jurgens issue. I'm most positive. Uh, I'm going to go check really quick. Yeah. Talk um, to yourselves. Yeah, it's... Um... I mean, I think that the uh, the reality of, of these little micro-crossovers is that there tends to be a showrunner on each one, whether that's official or not. And it seemed like Jurgens was definitely the guy steering the ship for Superman Reborn. And it seems like Williamson is the guy steering this one. And uh, rumor has it that Christopher Priest is the one steering the... Lazarus contract and so I think that the issues written by the the quote showrunner tend to be the ones with the most impact but for the for these two crossovers we've seen so far it's the non showrunner issues that I've enjoyed more yeah it was uh the second chapter so definitely I know for a fact yes at the halfway mark I like button better than reborn Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute to talk about the rest of the books of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at the Eisner-nominated MultiversityComics.com. Every week we take about 15 minutes to check out books hitting the shelves on Wednesday that we're most looking forward to. We also have long-form discussions about books we're excited for, both old and new. These episodes have included works like Jaime Hernandez's Love Bunglers and Katsuhiro Otomo's epic Akira. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the people we've had on the show have been Tom Scioli, Paul Pope, Leila Del Duca, and John Workman. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comics-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Alright, we are back, and we're going to start with Action Comics number 978. This was written by Dan Jurgens, illustrated by uh, Carlo Barberi, even though the uh, cover lists a different artist. Um, you know, as happens every now and then so this issue is very much a piece with last mu- last issues of, of this of action just sort of going through superman's some of his most iconic moments and sort of being a, a backdoor uh new origin story for him sort of tying up all the different connections between the new 52 superman origin and the classic superman origin and what sort of is staying from each one so before we get into the sort of the sort of nitty gritty of it, did this issue work better for you guys than the last issue did? This is uh, maybe one of the worst issues I've ever read. Now that's not true, but it is uh, probably the worst Superman retelling that I've ever read. Oh, hands down, yeah. I didn't read the Earth One graphic novels. I I okay, so I've only I read the first one and it wasn't as bad as this. So. Okay. <laughs> Because this isn't even like this is this is if this was Dan Jurgens doing just like you know a secret origin type retelling, I could maybe get behind that a little bit more. But because it's like current Superman going through a very like exposition laden retelling 
of his history within the actual issue that's like one step too far removed and I just can't Vince what do you think yeah this was I I cannot believe this I <laughs> why does this exist half of the issue recaps things we saw in rebirth yep what what wow <laughs> This book is specifically curated by Dan Jurgens just to piss me off. <laughs> like, I get it. I get what it's trying to do. It's trying to clear up all the questions we have. Like, wait, but if the Superman's merged, but pre-Flashpoint Superman's parents were alive until after he was married, but but New 52 Superman's parents died in his early 20s, which one really happened? Well, this answers that question for you. Right, so the idea is just to streamline the origins, but it does so in the clunkiest, least interesting way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, it's just weird too. So it's like now, now, so like everything with original Superman happens right down to the red undies, like. Vince alone, I figure. Did that have you hooting and hollering, Vince? <laughs> yes, that did. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So but, I mean, all that, of that, that happened. Cheap. That is That's cheap, Zach. I just yeah, pictured is... Go West playing very loudly. Is that the name of the band that did King of Wishful Thinking? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's I thought. Yeah. Okay. You thought of my tweet. I did. My yes. Tweet. <laughs> well, so so that that happened. All of that happens, but then. So, so like, just imagine the pre-New 52 goes on as normal until John is born. And then the the Dan Jurgens, Lois, and Clark comic happens. And then the New 52 happens. Is that how it was? I think, I... or did I, did I get it backward? Did, did New 52 happen before i believe it Maybe, happened no. before okay hang on. hang on let me let me pull it up yeah at, at some point he's like inexplicably wearing the the new 52 costume yeah uh well see, see he dies he comes back he marries he marries lois it's right after he marries lois that 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 he that he suddenly it's it's when she when she gets knocked okay. up he 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 ejaculates off the red undies. Yeah. Okay. So okay. So he does he does have new fifty two clothes. What's everybody looking at? Well, so, no, so so yeah, he does have new fifty two clothes. You're right. He has new fifty two clothes after he gets married. She gets pregnant. Then he goes to do do the Jergens black suit. But then he's back, and more new fifty two stuff happens because we see like the the weird scott labdell villain thing yeah and ulysses so so yeah so stuff happens now it's all just like jumbled together in this weird way that makes no fucking sense well i mean in a way like actually kind of makes sense but not in context of anything that's happened in the like the two timelines have come to gather in a way that does kind of make sense but it only makes sense pulled totally out of context how do you mean like none of these events make any sense if you like all right so uh how can i put this 
Right, so let's imagine that each of the, that that DC were to republish or reprint rather all of the stories that are made up here, right? Okay, I think and, I get where you're coming from. And yeah, like you know, if you if you tried to assemble those stories into a linear thing and read them, they would not match up to this in any way. No. It's it's like the it's like the new fifty two Green Lantern where everything happened but in a kind of slightly different way than how you saw it. You right, know? right. Like Blackest Night happened, but maybe everybody didn't get rings, and maybe there were just zombies, and not all the characters were there because they maybe didn't exist. You know, right. it's that kind of thing. Um, to me, the biggest frustration with this issue, like in. I mean, not in terms of of construction because the whole thing bothers me, but in terms of sort of missed opportunities for storytelling. I I know I've already brought it up once or twice, but to me, killing the Kents young, I don't know why you would keep that. Yeah, I don't either. Because I really thought that when I saw the grave, I thought it was going to be like the, you know, the Superman Brainiac storyline from the Johns thing. You know, yeah. I thought it was that, but it's not. It's uh, it's just the way it's the new Fifty Two thing. Can I tell you guys what my fun would have almost redeemed the comic theory was that was shot down by the end of the issue? Go for it. All right. So there was uh, there's this like, and we find out who it is later. But there's this weird like, uh, electric static man that popped up last issue and was here again this issue. And we're going through the whole origin of Superman and all that. And we um we see the death of Superman. And then we see the, quote, reign of the Superman. But there's no Superboy. We had Cyborg Superman, Steel, and the Eradicator. And we don't get Cyber, um, Superboy at all, the, the clone. And I thought, hmm, what if that, like, static is the, like... How can I put it? Like, like he's a glitch in the Matrix now, right? Like he shouldn't exist, but he still does. Yeah. And so he's gonna sh- nice. he's gonna show up and be like an adversary for now, and then eventually he'll he'll join up with you know he'll, he'll come around to the light side or whatever. Yeah, that would be really cool. But no, it's Hank Henshaw. Tangent that reminded me of something. I'm gonna circle back to our conversation at the beginning about the Superboy Prime theory uh-huh. because this is like you reminded me, and this is just like too good not to talk about. But the the idea that the New Fifty Two was all Superboy Prime's creation, and that's why the two people he hates the most, Connor Kent and uh, and Bart Allen, were the worst in the New Fifty Two. <laughs> like he recreated them as versions that were just terrible. That's pretty good. I know that's why it has to happen. But anyway, <laughs> your theory was also good and better would have been more interesting I think than what we actually got, which like who who is that character? I don't even know if I know who that character. That's Hank Henshaw. Oh, Hank, but it's but like I oh that's right because Hank Henshaw is not the cyborg superman. Anymore. No, but this is going to be their way around that. This is yeah, going yeah. to be he's going to merge with the cyborg superman. And we're gonna get Cyborg Superman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, I'm, what I don't understand though is he calls the Eradicator old friend when he sees him, because in like you know pre Flashpoint continuity they would have been flying around Metrop- Metropolis contemporaneously. But if, it, as far as I can tell, Cyborg Superman 
was not Hank Henshaw, right? Ever in this timeline. No, but I think he, I, I feel like he has to have been. I mean, that, well, okay, so, like, I I guess rather what I'm saying is I think that the cyborg Superman that we're seeing here at the death of Superman is not uh, Zor-El. I don't know how it couldn't be. I don't know either, but I don't think it is. I think <laughs> it's, like, I think it's, like, actual cyborg Superman. Fair enough. Okay. I, I'm not, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Maybe they fixed him. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, ugh, I yeah. don't know. The idea of bringing back the Superman Revenge Squad is a lot of fun. Yeah. But this is the worst possible version of that. <laughs> Can, did, maybe one of you guys already mentioned this, but did did you notice how the Metropolis Kid got punked? Yeah, we just said that. Oh, you did. Sorry, I was... Um, it had nothing to do with the draft, I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> Take yeah. a shot. It's yeah. like a new. Uh, can, oh, uh, Electric Blue Superman showed up, so yeah, this gets a ten out of ten for costumes. And Superman with the like the weird Kryptonian bubbles on his sleeve. You know what I'm talking about? The yes. black costume. Oh, yes, yeah. The 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 like is that a is that a John Byrne thing? I believe so. Yeah, I like that, but not as much as Electric Blue Superman. Yeah, and also um, a lot of throwbacks to like early two thousands Superman villains. Like yes. we see, we see Manchester Black. We see the guy that I think is maybe from. Is that like Kirby looking guy with the black armor? Is he from uh, Our World at War? He might be. Um. Yeah, there's a lot of weirdness in this show. I want to talk about two bits of weirdness specifically. Uh, the first one is that the Daily Planet has the world's worst headlines. So, Which, give me one. Well, the, there, there's <laughs> one. Of, Metropolis Global Arms Merchants of Death and like the worst font ever. Well, yeah, it is like Daily Planet is a Metropolis newspaper. So, do you really need to to lead with the name of the city on it? <laughs> like you know, it's it's one thing if it, if this was the Gotham Gazette and it was about something in Metropolis, then you have to leave with the city name. It's a Metropolis paper, you know. It's Metropolis, right? Also, uh, am I wrong? But shouldn't it be? Should there be an S after an S after the yeah? yeah because it's a it's a singular yes. name. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, man. That's ooh, you don't recover from that. They're they're a newspaper. You don't recover from that kind of typo. <laughs> I mean to be fair, who reads print newspapers anymore nowadays in America? Am I right, guys? New media? New media? What's up? Um Well, but this was who knows when this takes that, place, like true. what year this was. I mean, John isn't born yet, so it's at least like, you know, ten, eleven years ago. Yeah. Uh we're getting in the weeds. <laughs> we are getting in the weeds. Uh but the weirdest thing to me is how Clark recruits the rest of the Trinity to be his nursing staff for when John is born. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, an interesting... I don't know if this is, like, purposeful, but, because, but like, you know, previously John was born in the the Batcave of Flashpoint Bat- Batman in Convergence. And, like, Thomas Wayne helped deliver him because he's a doctor. I um, forgot that. But now, like, that's negated because of this. So, maybe that's, like, an interesting nod to that. 
but I don't know. Because I think Dan Jurgens wrote that too, actually. So he would maybe be thinking about that. So maybe it is intentional. I don't know. It's just weird to be like, hey, best buds, do you want to, you know, see my wife's, you know, delivery? I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It, There's a certain amount like, of logic about the protection part of it. Yeah, but there yeah, are stronger I mean, heroes than Batman, if that's your goal. Well, Wonder, Wonder Woman's probably a good, a good, you know, uh, I, I feel like Wonder Woman could deliver a baby. <laughs> but it's also weird because New 52 Superman and Wonder Woman were a thing, yeah. you know. It's all weird. Yeah. It's a uh, weird book. Anything else to say about this uh this issue? Um, no, I don't guess so. This arc is this is this arc is weird. All of the dialogue from the little robot guy was really unnecessary. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh let's let's move on before we Gary uh... Frank his variant covers continue to be very good. He draws the best Superman, I think. It's pretty good. Is that good. a hot take? No, I don't think so. Is that so. too bold? Okay. I think he draws his best Superman. I don't agree, but it's all right. You know. Okay. Well, you don't like anything I like, so. That's true. We like, we like nothing the same at all. Nothing at all. Uh, that brings us to Batgirl, number 10, written by Hope Larson, illustrated by Chris Wild Goose. This is a good comic, guys. This comic is good, yeah. The curse is broken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I feel like in lesser hands, the whole idea of manipulating people's lives through social media would have come off really cheesy. <laughs> but it works really well here. Like specific- very, very much so. Like specifically yeah. the scene in the uh, Iceberg <laughs> Lounge where like those three different things were happening at the same time. And how both Gordon and Barbara were right. He was like, no, here are the reasons why those things happened. But all those things happened because their social media was manipulated. You know, it was, just, it was very, very smart. It was it was a yes. well done, very well done issue. Dick, Dick and Barbara are like the best thing ever. All the time. Yeah. Um, and Chris Wild Goose continues to do really good work. Yeah. Uh, I know Vince has been a huge fan of this book. Uh, yes. This far. Uh, anything in particular about this issue that you uh, want to talk about? Um, yeah, just the dick stuff you guys already mentioned. and um, <laughs> All that dick stuff. The dick stuff. The dick stuff is usually the highlight of it. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to say that when when uh, <laughs> this is going to fulfill one of our quotas for our, our, our uh, you know weekly quota. Mm-hmm. But on the very last page, when he says that his, uh, you know, villain name is Black Sun, uh-huh. I immediately thought of Borat, and I said, "Your son is not black." <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh man, that's so on brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought so. So that, that's my only contribution. This book is great. I. It it really is a consistent top ten rebirth for me. It just it hits the spot every time for the reasons that we've talked about month after month. So 
I don't feel like there's a lot more to say at this point, considering we're right in the middle of an arc. But yeah, I I really like it. It it, it the issue opens with Barbara and the penguin playing ping pong, and it's totally totally fits. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. All right. Did anyone even open Batman Beyond? Yes. I... Um. I actually watched um one of the DC promoted fan YouTube reviews, so I actually know what happened in this issue. Well, the two of you guys can fill me in because I'm opening it for the first time right now. Apparently, oh, yeah. that there's like some there's some Robin stuff in here. Sort of. There is there is oh, okay, just I literally guess... a reek. Again, it's Jurgens doing a recap of Bruce's life that we don't. Okay, this book is Batman Beyond. Yes. Yes. We all. If you're reading Batman Beyond, you've read Batman, right? Most likely. You know who Bruce Wayne is. Yeah. You know all his different Robins. What? Why do you need a recap of Bruce's life that takes up several pages at the beginning of this issue? There's no reason other than Jurgens is wasting time. There's no reason. There's no thematic reason for it. It's 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 literally just an exercise in doing a recap again. I could almost understand this if it was the first issue of a new series. Where you feel like, all right, maybe somebody needs a recap. But this isn't. This is the seventh issue of a series. There's no reason for this. Exactly. It's, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure they were making some point about like, because last issue, Terry was trying to have a quote unquote social or family life outside of being Batman. So I'm sure they were, they were making some point about Bruce being like, here are my Robins, and they all met their tragic end or whatever, and maybe I should have cared more or some stupid thing but like it's it's just the same thing he's doing in action comics to waste time it, it the, to me that's all it looks like that's all i see when i read it you know um yeah it's just a time waster jurgens is like a a spectacular time waster well, let's not waste any more time on him then. No, and and Rachel Ghoul is back in this. He's good again in this <laughs> comic as well, which is like the tenth comic that he's been in in Rebirth, which is fine, except that like, what is this? Just resurrecting all of Batman's villains because you got the Joker back now. You got Rachel Ghoul back. Like, what's the? This is like Rebirth in reverse, where they're almost like backpedaling from Batman Beyond you know, all the way back to the beginning. You know, they're almost like going back further than Batman Beyond's television series beginnings. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, to me, feels completely unnecessary. Yeah. Um, You remember back when Batman Beyond first came back to comics and we got those, like, really interesting digital first books that were actually kind of, like, fresh and, and interesting? And then Future's End happened? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Chang's art's still good. Still very good. is a great pairing. Alright, that brings us to Batman the Shadow, number one. Written by Scott Snyder and Steve Orlando. Illustrated by Riley Rosmo. 
This book was great. Crazy was as wonderful. shit, but great. So good. Um, I have to check something. U.S. talk. This reminded me of something yeah. that I forgot to check. I meant to check earlier. Research. Uh, Vince, okay. you had you had texted us about this issue because you enjoyed it so much. Yeah. So, so a little preface here. These, um, you know, Batman meets the Shadow, or Batman meets the Ninja Turtles, or Batman meets the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> like, I was gonna say Abbott and Costello, but that's a good yeah, reference yeah, as well. Yeah. These these types of things, they they're more often than not they seem like um, you know really slow burning excuses to just shove two properties together, and while they may be fun or they may not be, um, they're usually very disposable. And I'm not gonna say that Batman slash the Shadow number one has any ramifications in the DCU. I'm not going to say that, but it is not simply a case of two properties. You know, starting starting with Batman and having him investigate something, and then ooh, all of a sudden he's been transported to the world of the Shadow, you know, or whatever. It's or vice versa. It's very much like, what if the Shadow just was in Batman's world? Period. No explanation. And is uh, and, no, and, like, and has a major compl- role too. And has a major role, and no like complicated like. Uh, like dimensional travel or whatever no MacGuffin to get you there it's just the book starts and it is a matter of fact that uh that uh, the shadow what's it with Lamont Cranston Lamont Cranston yeah like Batman knows who Lamont Cranston is just period he thinks that Lamont Cranston's been trained by Henry Ducard you know the, the League of Shadows like, period. This stuff is all just built into this comic. You understand it and you go forward. Um, and where it went from there is just wild. Like, so Batman's investigating a murder of one of Lamont Cranston's descendants. Named Lamont Cranston. Named, named Lamont Cranston. And, like, you see this guy get killed. He gets killed by a very a figure that looks like the Shadow, you know. And then it's this investigation that Bruce goes on where he's like uncovering things that date back to the 1930s, you know, the, the ostensible origins of the shadow itself, you know? And it's wild that, like I said, this has nothing to do with the DCU or rebirth. I'm no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to interject right now because my research has come to fruition and uh, can't wait. Take it away. Take it away. Do you guys remember that Orlando Rosmo joint in the Batman annual? Yeah. That was teasing an upcoming storyline? It's this. Is it really? Yeah. Uh, Fuck you. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's this. Um, Because we see the villain at the end, the stag, and she says, I'm an honest signal. And that's a line of dialogue from this comic. Um, Wow. So how what is this then? This is great is what this is. Yeah. It's still not really like part of rebirth, right? Like I don't know. I mean uh, Here's here's my question, okay? Just just feeding off of that. Let's say that this becomes canon. This is all stuff that doesn't really need to be brought up all that often. So you don't need to worry about having the shadow license 
or have a working relationship with Dynamite. Like, how, when was the last time that Ducard really mattered in a Batman comic? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, so you can you can establish this and then just kind of leave it there for a while. But that's pretty awesome, Zach. I think so. Yeah, like I just, um, I had forgotten about that, and then it was that that honest signal line, like, kind of like struck a a memory, and I had been meaning to go back and check, and then I forgot. But you can even actually like, so we actually see the stag in that in that issue, and she she has like these kind of like yellow arm bands and and if you look at the character that's in this issue in the in that same scene that that has the honest signal line she's kind of like coming through the window and like has those like really clear like yellow armbands like shrouded in black it's the same it's like the same character so wow and even like the same mo kind of uh, i think he gets like this uh the um lamont guy gets stabbed in the head um which is how the guy in the Batman annual gets killed. Wow. With a dagger. So yeah, wow. they, I mean that they tease that, that's like crazy because it didn't even, you know, when that issue came out, it just says, um, like 2017, it, right? Yeah, The stag is coming in 2017, but never would I have imagined that it was going to be in this, but it's that same, it's the same creative team. So I don't know why I didn't put that together. That's crazy. That is crazy. Wow. Uh, there was one microscopic Easter egg in this issue that made me so happy. Uh, I got to find it here now. But a little backstory here. So what, uh, one of my favorite things in the entire world to do is to go to the movies. And I, I go to the movies all the time. And when I was in like middle school, I would go to the movies at least once a week. I was always go. There was a movie theater I wouldn't walk distance to my house. And I would go with friends all the time. And so I would see everything that came out, essentially. And like one of my favorite movies when I was in middle school is a terrible movie, which was the Alec Baldwin, The Shadow adaptation. <laughs> and uh, in here at one point, Bruce says, like, file 1994 or whatever. And that's the year that movie came out. And oh, I, nice. I can't imagine that not being intentional. So that has to be, yeah. Yeah, so that's a fun little Easter egg there. Yeah, this issue was really good. It's way better than it has any business being. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just wonder, you know, like this could totally still be its own like one-off thing, just because it was teased in in a Batman annual doesn't mean it's you know canon or anything. But it is really interesting that they would do that. Yeah, and and what? It, maybe this is me reading into things too much, but the the page where we first see the shadow, he's surrounded by Haas, like laughing, which uh-huh. is like a very Joker thing. Yeah, this I mean, is one of the three Jokers. To that? Yeah, what if this is one of the three <laughs> Jokers? Would that be? Is that like two? I don't know. I mean, there was also a rumor about a year ago that DC was going to buy Dynamite. Um, yes, I remember that, yeah. But The Shadow was a character that I believe, like, the license has changed a bunch of times. So you wouldn't buy Dynamite to acquire the Shadow license. You would just wait until the next time the license is available, which is like every five or ten years, and then just buy that. Or license that, rather. Um, but yeah, 
This is an excellent issue. Yeah, it really was. Um, Rosmo, like, is just made for a Batman book, I think. Yeah. All right, he just fits it so well. Yeah, I love Ro- I love what Rosmo has brought to to DC since he's been there. And he's a guy that I don't think was necessarily one that on the surface made a ton of sense. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think you saw him like, oh, when he gets to DC, he's going to tear it up. I loved his work, but I don't know how it would fit in the DC aesthetic, but it's been just such a nice surprise. Um, all right. Next question, boys. Am I the only one who opened Blue Beetle number eight? No, I, oh. I opened it and found OMAC and thought about reading it, but didn't. Yeah, same. <laughs> oh, I read it. Nothing happens in this issue, guys. Well. There was a, a post on Bleeding Cool earlier this week that basically said, like, this is a very important issue because it establishes so much of the Blue Beetle, like, mythos no. for for uh, Rebirth. And it doesn't at all. It yeah, tells... well, they made the same claim about action comics, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It tells you that Ted Kord did was known as the Blue Beetle, that he was part of the Justice League, and that he had a heart attack while while in the uh, while playing superhero, essentially. That's the extent of it, guys. I read the whole fucking issue for that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, this is a garbage comic. Even with Omac in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. I don't like the Omac redesign either. So right from the get-go, it's um, lame. <sighs> it's not that different from the new 52 one, though. It's it? There's, some, there's it's something not, it's about likely, it. Uh, he's less like... Uh, I know what you mean. Yeah, you know, and maybe... Th- this is bad because I like... Um, Scott Collins, I really do. I like his art. But there was something about Giffen, the way that he drew Omac in that book, that Collins just wasn't cha- channeling quite. So Yeah, it's the curbiness. It's, it's yeah. missing that yeah. curbiness, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, like, it's like close enough to bother me, but like not right, you know? Yeah. So do you want to know the most bothersome thing about this issue? Go for what is it. it? So there is on the page with the credits, before the credits, it says, because you demanded it, the reunion of one of the greatest teams in comic book history, which, fuck it. Fuck that statement. Um, yeah. but after Oh, that the, was terrible. Yeah. But yeah. after it said, because you demanded it, there was an asterisk, and it said, actually, Giffen demanded it. Uh, everyone's so terrified of him they couldn't say no. And then at the end of the greatest team in comic book history, there's another asterisk, and it says, fake news, sad. Terrible. And, like, uh, that is such an old man trying to make fun of Trump joke. Yeah. That is a la- that is something you would see your not-racist uncle do on Twitter to make fun of Trump. Yep. You know. To me, that's like a joke from Cracked Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, garbage, 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 garbage. Although Scott Collins' art is pretty, pretty good. 
Um, Detective Comics number nine fifty five, written by James Tyner and illustrated by Marcio Takara. A big uh, Cassie Kane issue. Oh man, this is a pretty good comic, guys. Mm-hmm. Can, can I can I can I say something, Brian? Sure. I think you're the only one I ever hear call her Cassie. Yeah, I don't know why I do that. I'm not. I'm not judging you at all. I'm just sure. I'm not. I'm not, Brian. I love you. Okay. I love you. You complete me, and not in that like puppy dog kind of <laughs> love. You know. Um, I bought this painting for you. <laughs> is is that a chasing Amy reference? It, yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know the way to my sixteen-year-old heart. <laughs> No, no, no. I just, it's something I noticed, and I'm like, is that a real thing? Like, do, does anyone call her Cassie? Is that. I guess it might be because I went to school with a Cassandra who went by Cassie. Oh. And so I just, maybe I just subconsciously do that. Yeah. Because there's Cassie Sandsmark, you know. From right, right. Wonder Girl, and yeah. Um, not anyway, I was just, I was just wondering if that was a real thing or if I was just. Probably not. Or if it, or if it was my hang up, you know. That's probably just me being dumb. No, 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 no. No, I'm almost positive it's me being dumb, so don't worry about it. Anyway, Um, this was a huge, huge, uh, huge issue for her. Oh, my God. So good. Like, so many, like, money moments for her. I didn't love the stuff with the book. Oh, the stuff with yeah. the book about yeah, the her like stumbling upon the dancer and yeah, 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 you know, it was heavy-handed. I, I it was, but I have to say I didn't even remember it. I guess until you brought it up because the ending was so strong that it almost it basically evaporated my memory of that. <laughs> um. There is one sort of really funny, weird bit of uh, continuity that's now out there, which is that uh, all these team members have now seen each other naked. (laughs) That's true, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm six years old. What's up? Um, Well, I'm the one who noticed the blue penis. That is true. (laughs) I guess that makes me, like, like 13, though. Yeah, exactly. Um. But overall, I thought that this was a really important issue because people have been talking about how both Stephanie and Cassandra have been, you know, they're, they're, they were both members of the team to start off, but both have been sort of, uh, I guess, just pushed to, the, pushed to the back burner a little bit and have lost a little bit about what made them special. And I feel like this definitely put... Cassandra, who I really wish they would just call Black Bat again. Um, yeah. Into the into the forefront, so I enjoyed this issue a lot. What yeah. do you guys think? Anything it, else? It was to good. Takara's art continues to be great. Uh, I I love those cast moments. I love the way that the family just pops in for her at the end, and I love the way that she she's talking to. Um, What's her name about when, when, uh, <laughs> what the hell is her name? I'm sorry. The dancer? Um, no, the villain. Oh, Lady Shiva. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. Lady Shiva. Thank you. When, when she's saying like, I, I'm not impressed. And then 
Cass says, yes, you are, <laughs> you know, like just, um, exerting her will, you know, on, on this enemy. And, uh, and it all comes together really nicely. So I just noticed something while paging through this issue though, she says at one point that she's going to be the shadow. Oh boy. <laughs> this is what DC rebirth is all about. Yep. Oh man. Uh, but yeah, can can we please call her Black Bat? Unless we call her Shadow, unless she's the new Shadow. Yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting. But yeah, very very good issue. Uh, did you guys notice the little Steph Brown shout out to the spoiler thing? Yeah. 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 That was nice. It was nice. That was nice. All right, let's plow through this, guys. Doom Patrol number six. Last uh, issue until July. Yeah. Um, this issue was kind of... Uh, it was kind of weird because it was like the closer of the arc, but it was almost like the start of a new arc, but it finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? It was like a whole arc in one issue, which I'm fine with. I feel like this was the first issue that might give any clue as to what the series will be like going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I I don't even know. <laughs> it's I I was surprised that it still very much felt like they were building their foundation, you know. But it feels like it's been so long. It almost kind of felt like, so the first five issues were getting the band back together, but then the sixth issue was like, oh, crap, we forgot about someone. We have to go get them real quick. Yeah. Um, you guys are, you guys know what, what my big complaint about this issue is going to be, right? Um, uh, I don't guess so. No Niles Calder page. Oh, you're right. I, I I think I I consciously thought of that, but I didn't. I I guess I had just kind of forgot about it. Yeah, I don't know. That is interesting. There was nothing wrong with this issue. I feel like this was like. No, I feel like it was maybe one of the most like normal issues so far. If that makes sense, like the most like traditional comic book. I mean, there was a bomb drop to kill a dominant multiple personality. I mean, I guess, but, like, the last issue was just, like, so weird bombastic, and I feel like they've all had... I I, I guess I'm just saying, like, relative to the other issues, this one felt the most tame. That's fair. Which is saying something, considering you're right, it did have, like, a brain bomb and, and a, a person with... 63 other personalities that ride around in a subway station of her mind. Do you know how you can tell that this operates on a different plane of existence uh, editorially than other DC books? The Bane. The Bane coloring pages. Uh, No, the fact that if if this was if this book came out two years ago, there is no fucking question she would have had 52 other personalities. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. 
the fact that they let that go says how much trust they have in Gerard in uh, in way. Yeah. Uh, anything else to add about this issue? Um, Do we know when the next one is, or is this? Like it's on it's a... it's July, and it's the Mike Allred drawn issue. Okay. Oh, that. Oh, yes, that's my shit. Man, July. Listen, to what we're getting in July, guys. We're getting three fucking Mike Allred drawn DC books. We're getting the issue of Doom Patrol. We're getting the issue of Bug the Forager mini, and we're getting the Legion Batman sixty six one shot. Yeah. Which you were totally right on that being a one shot. You're spot on. Well, I doubted you. you, but yeah, but you had it. But that's, I mean, that is that is reason to celebrate. Yeah, that's that's crazy. For I mean, and he's still doing Silver Surfer over at Marvel. It, it's crazy that he's doing interiors for so many things right now. Well, I don't know. I get the feeling that either Silver Surfer is incredibly delayed. Or it's already done. Like his part's already done. Yeah, yeah, I know that there was like a pretty big delay around the last issue, right? But, I think so. Yeah, Silver Surfer, Silver <laughs> Surfer in the flesh. Keep it loopy, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> Love, appreciate it. <sighs> I love that you guys both have that memorized. Come <laughs> up. I'm not complaining. That's just the way. Oh, I'm still mad that he uh, changed Chance's verse on that. Yeah. And took out his, like, sweet reference to what song is that? That 90s song? Yeah. Um, Return to Innocence or something like that. Is that the name of the song? The Enya song? Is it Enya? I don't know. I know it played at the end of the the classic Chevy Chase flick, um, Man of the House. Oh boy! <laughs> I don't know if I ever saw Man of the House. It had uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas in it. I, I, no, that's not what it's called. It's not Man of the House. Are you thinking Cops and Robertsons? No, I'm thinking. Uh, gosh, what was that movie? Chairman of the Board. No, hold no, on. Give no, me a second. Chairman of the Board is the. Uh, Carrot Top. Uh, because I always think of, of uh, Norm McDonald right. and Conan. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is Man of the House. I just Googled Man of the House and it was a different movie. Yeah. Yeah, Man of the House. 1995 American comedy film starring Chevy Chase, Farrah Fawcett, and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, okay. That's a trio of people. The board is spelled V O R E. Enigma's Return to. Enigma, innocent. yes. Yeah. It's sample, yeah. Uh, it was uh, really good. <laughs> what are we doing? Oh, no, this is awesome. This is good, good content. Hal uh, Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 19, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by July's Titans artist, V. Ken Marion. <laughs> yep. Uh, this, was the, this was the rogue book that I Wilkerson this month. Really? Yeah. I don't blame you. 
I'm just surprised. I I know how uh, I know how you like your Lantern books. I, I know, right? There was once a time when I like Green Lantern was the reason I was reading comics, and uh, look how far we've fallen. Yeah. Never meet your heroes, guys. No, <laughs> they'll well, only thought, disappoint I, you. I thought you were a huge fan of Sarko the Time Traveler, though. Well, you know, it's Sarko, no Mister Accent on the Co. <laughs> Oh God! Not again! <laughs> I, I've been waiting to say that to you for hours. Yeah, man, oh, God, you—you you really took me somewhere last week with that. <laughs> I, I went on an emotional journey through nostalgia. Uh, nostalgia is a power, you know. It's the pain from an old wound. Yeah. Oh man! Um, Regret comes in the past. Yep. Yeah. Can I just say that? Uh, the one thing, so I did read this. I wish I hadn't. I read it too, um, but I did read it. One one thing though, half of the issue is the Green Lantern leaders. You know the characters we all know and love, the main ones, all arguing more or less with uh, Rip, Rip Hunter, Hunter. Yeah. about like where he comes from and like his time traveling and not. Like, they don't quite understand how time traveling works. And I'm thinking, like, okay, one of you has been to the source wall. <laughs> you've, you've seen a living planet explode and then be, be reborn, you know? Hal's like, been dead twice. Hal's been dead twice. How is it that you guys do not immediately... It's not even that they don't trust Rip Hunter. It's that, like, they don't even understand, like, wait a minute. How could you have seen us before? How do you know us and we don't know you? <laughs> like, they just don't understand how this pretty simple concept of time travel, you know, like, Rip is basically like, look, I've seen, I know you in the future or whatever, you know? It's like, they just don't get it. And how can that be when they've seen all manner of horrors unknown to man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so contrived and they spend so much time on it. It's not like it's several pages of them being like, whoa, what's the deal with this guy? So um, how familiar are both of you guys with the cinematic classic UHF? Oh, pff, come on. Brian. The Weird Al Yankovic classic. Yeah. I, Philo's Mysteries of the Universe. <laughs> my, my, that's my manifesto. Uh, club, of better, club of Baby Seal to make a better deal. Um, <laughs> so there's a page where Sarko is uh, – <laughs> talking about the uh how the friendship between Arkillo and Guy Gardner is like the is, is what fucks everything up, right? It's like the beginning of the end for the Sinestro Corps. And the face that Guy Gardner is making, and Vince, you have to scroll to this, is totally the weird Alice Rambo dropping <laughs> bombs face. Like one hundred percent that's the face. Yes. Ooh, like yeah, that, yeah. that face. Oh God. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Ugh. Spatula City. Spatula City. Spatula City. We sell spatulas. And, and that's, that's all. Zach, <laughs> uh, Zach, are you not in on this UHF? I, I'm not. I've never seen UHF. Oh, okay. Even though I was a big. Weird Al fan. When when you come to visit, we'll watch my DVD. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Um. All right. So here's a question for you guys. Did anybody open the Hellblazer? Oh uh, no. Nothing I... happens. Don't worry. Okay. I 
complete. I didn't even Wilkerson it. I didn't even. I think I'm done. Oh, I, I am totally. But one interesting thing happened, and I'm using. I don't in, believe. No. Well, I'm using interesting in the loosest possible term. So there's a scene where uh, Constantine and uh, some other folks are in. Like I, I'm trying to scroll to it now. I want to say it's a, uh, a, a a library. Yeah, it's like a back room of a building, and constant. And there's all these books, and Constantine is like flipping through a box, and you see him pull something out, and the woman he's with says, "Look at that! Is John Constantine getting in touch with his inner nerd? I wouldn't have uh, pegged you for a superhero type." And then he throws his book over his shoulder, and he says, "Despite rumors you hear the contrary, I'm most definitely not." And when the book lands, we see that it's an issue of DC's Swamp Thing. Oh. Uh, and it's, it looks like it's supposed to be from the Alan Moore era. I don't recognize the exact cover, but it has the DC Bullet logo in the upper left-hand corner. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that is just a throwaway gag or if that's like a hint at something to come. I'm trying to see what there. There's okay. There's another comic or book with the title Victorian. Looks like, uh, and then I'm trying to see what the ad on the back of the DC book is, and you can't really tell. It almost looks like it says Convergence, or it's a word of sort of that length. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, oh, gosh, this could be me just, like... Actually, that is a specific cover. Hang on. Keep keep talking. I'm going to do a little research while you, while you talk. I thought it almost, like, kind of looks like an homage to, like, Dr. Manhattan sitting on Mars. But it's, like, a, a white and red character instead of a blue character. Just something about, like, the way he is. That's probably not what it is, but that's the first thing that came to mind. That okay. does look like Convergence, though. It's a 1988 comic because we know that because in the bottom left-hand corner there is a DC 50th, 50th anniversary yeah. uh, logo there. So let's see. So that'd be so that'd be Swamp Thing, like around the time of the Crisis tie-ins. Yes. Um, this is by far the most substantive conversation we've had about the Hellblazer. So far. (laughs) Have either of you read all of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing before? No. I read it all when I was in college, but I don't remember much of it. I think I've read like the first two or three trades worth. I'd like to go back and finish it one day. That DC Unlimited thing comes true. You can. Oh, you're right. Uh, it's Swamp Thing 37 is what that issue is. Is there – do you have a handy description ready for us? Of like what's in the issue? Yeah. Um, if you go to like the okay, DC on, Wiki like, or something. Okay, yeah, I should go there. I, I was looking at the covers on Comixology. Let's see. But yeah, I, mean, I think it's safe to say that this is the most boring way you could possibly do this book. Um. Uh, so it is the maybe the first appearance of John Constantine. Let's see. No, oh. he first appeared in 25, but he is in this. So wait, hold on. 
Suffice to say, uh, this is the only good thing that can come out of reading this comic. Okay, no, yeah, this is the that's the first appearance of of Constantine. Oh, okay, well that's that's all it is. Okay, yeah. that's all it is then. All right, then we we just wasted five minutes for nothing, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, Justice League of America number five, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Andy McDonald. Um. This issue had a. Uh, <laughs> A press conference. It had uh, it had some stuff. Zach, you were the one I think who was the least sold on this series last time. How did you feel about this issue? Um, I liked how. Okay, so I like the premise of the issue. Kind of like you know the antagonist. the The opening of the issue was just kind of fantastic. Like a weird skull flower bomb thing in a trash can that was pretty good um i thought lobo throughout this issue was fantastic i I think some people would maybe think he's like over the top and annoying but i loved every line of dialogue he had you're becoming a real uh, lobo mark i'm a (laughs) huge lobo mark all of a sudden i maybe not though because i'm i'm probably like one of the five people in the world who liked the uh the villains month marguerite bennett uh Ben Oliver. Twilight, yeah, Twilight Lobo issue, so um, maybe I just really like some Lobo, I don't know, but uh, I thought that there were, like, a few instances of some kind of, like, clunky dialogue from some of the other characters, not Lobo, of course. Um, Nothing clunky about calling someone a bastard. That's not clunky, that's natural. It is. I'm from Um, the 90s, I get this. I get this. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I like this. I really liked the art a lot. Um, this, I like the tone really of I like the tone of this issue. Like, if this is the tone of the book moving forward, or something similar to this, I like it. Vince, what about you? Um, I really like this book, but now again, I'm confused about what kind of team this is. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it. You know what? It's just let Steve Orlando do whatever he wants to do. If he wants to dress them all up in uh, armor that's lit up by the ray for, for I don't know, defensive power or whatever, that's fine with me. Um, I loved the Batman and Lobo exchange. Like, man, what a... <laughs> just, you know, uh, tit for tat. And, and Bat, like Lobo being like, what if I rough him up a little bit? And Batman's like, you'll regret it. And he catches the toothpick that Lobo yep. throws at him. Oh, God. So good. The, the, that part just made me. <sighs> what those if we get some like. Of the... The... Oh, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, no. go You go ahead. I was, I was just going to say those were some of the moments of the week for me. But yeah, I was going to say, what if we get like the Batman Lobo bromance we never knew we wanted? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm up. I'm down for it. I'm shipping that. I did like how he called him the main man. He's yeah. like, he's like, shouldn't be a thing for a main man, or whatever he says. It was a yeah, great... and he like pauses too, you know, like yeah, for the main man. <laughs> oh man, what if the new Trinity is uh, Lobo, <laughs> Batman, and Harley Quinn? Uh, sure, yeah, why not? Why not? 
Who who was rumored to be Lobo for a really long time in the films? Wasn't it supposed to be The Rock? Wasn't it? I thought it was, but then like he's Black Adam, so I couldn't remember if that was. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Josh. Oh, speaking speaking (laughs) of uh, DC film universe wrestling news, do you see the hot Booster Gold casting? Yeah, the Miz. The Miz wants to be Booster Gold. Oh boy. Former real world reality show contestant, The Miz. Just like Judd Winnick. Just like Judd Winnick. <laughs> I don't know who what any of this is. I know who Judd Winnick is, but You didn't watch the Real World season ten back to New York? Come on. No. Well Lottie. I, like, I, I can like barely it. stand I can barely stand to experience my own life, so <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right, that brings us to the Commandy Challenge, number four, written by James Tynan IV, illustrated by Carlos de Anda. And uh, I certainly like this better than last month's issue. Yeah, I liked how kind of, like, trippy this got towards the end. Yeah. (laughs) It's fine it's fine i'm i'm becoming less thrilled with this book every time i read it i think see i i i was really down on last month's issue yeah uh i thought this was a much better issue than last month's i don't think they're going as big as they could be yeah i don't know Uh, edible plant people (laughs) Is pretty progressive. I was gonna say like a a robotic false god that eats its prey to be swallowed into like the nerve center of this of this like you know false deity. I don't know. I thought that was pretty. It's pretty big. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about it. There. No, I'm maybe big. You. Maybe big is the wrong word. Maybe it's more like um. I thought I thought everyone was going to put more of their stamp on it. But but if you aside from that Palmiati and Connor issue, if you told me that all the other ones were written by the same person, I wouldn't be able to tell you who that person is and also I would have believed you, you know. Yeah. Um that Palmiati and Connor issue felt like them, but that's a that was a bad thing for me for Commandy. So right. So well, did you read the back matter for this issue? No, I didn't. I didn't have time. I I barely, you know, could Wilkerson the things that I, <laughs> you know. In the back matter, it was interesting. You know, each writer of the previous week's issue writes the back matter for this issue, and Palmiati said that he and Connor were that that every creative team was drawn out of a hat. And that when it came time to draw his partner, they actually drew it out of a hat, and Connor's the one who showed up. Oh my gosh! And they said that they th- they felt like they couldn't justify redrawing it because the whole idea was to make it random, and that's you know that's yeah. what happens. So right, that was interesting. Um, no, I, I like this issue. I think this is my favorite issue since the uh, first one, actually. Mm. But the art was nice. Carlos Carlos Danda is mm-hmm. um, awesome, but he is awesome. Yeah, um, I'm excited for next issue. 
I think. Like Bill Willingham, is that right? Yeah, Bill Willingham yeah. and um, Ivan yeah. Reyes. Hmm. That's fun. <laughs> so uh, that brings us to Mother Panic, number six, written by Jody Hauser, illustrated by Sean Crystal. This really reinforced my thought that I just don't like the fit of Sean Crystal on this book because I thought that this arc, if you can call it that, wrapped up fairly nicely, but it just didn't... It could have packed a little more of an emotional punch that just wasn't... Sean Crystal's art is just a little goofier than that for me am i am i often saying that this all just feels like a little disjointed well that was uh, i had a kind of a similar comment something that actually fits with what both of you were saying i feel like i need to before next issue i have to sit down and read it all in one sitting because i have no fucking clue what happens in this book yeah like i mean when you put it together it makes a story but it's like not very it doesn't flow like a story. It's more like a collection of images that kind of when put uh, that what I'm going to say is the definition of a comic book story, but, (laughs) 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 but, um, I don't know. There's just no, there's, there's no flow between the pages. I feel like, I understand that. Yeah, I agree with that. There's there is something here, but it's yeah, you're right. And maybe reading it in one bigger chunk will make it go down a little smoother. Sure. Cause I, I found myself the first five or eight ish pages of each issue, I'm like trying to remember what happened in the last issue, and then by the time I just give up on trying to remember what happened, I enjoy it for a little bit, and then it's over. So yeah. All right. Well, that's um, that's Mother Panic for this week. Uh, Suicide Squad number sixteen, written by Rob Williams, illustrated by Tony S. Daniel. Um, Zach is our resident Suicide Squad fan. What did you think of this? I don't know how that happened. It's not fair. <laughs> um, this issue was not good. It's better than some of the other stuff. No, it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No. You think this is the worst issue of the series so far? I don't think it's the worst issue of the series, but I don't think it's like good. Oh, I don't think it's good at all. I, I mean, guess, well, I don't think it's not, even like as I don't think it's one of the better issues of the series. because well, you you have that hard on for JRJR. Yeah, I guess so. That's my thing. Let's get let's get it out there. I'm not like the the Suicide Squad apologist. I'm the JRJR apologist. Let's uh, get it fair. right. That's fair. So here's my thing. I didn't really read this, <laughs> but it, it looked like at one point Lex and Amanda Waller were going to fuck. Yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the subtext there is they're both trying to get close enough to the other one to figure out what's really going on. So yeah. it's not that they want to fuck. It's that they're trying to like get recon on one one another you know it's like it's like that episode of friends where where i think is it phoebe and joey are like playing the game of sex chicken 
This is a Seinfeld podcast, so... Um... <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Is that where they, like, try to pretend they're not having sex with one another, but... What was it? They, the they try and go as far... Like, it's like playing chicken with a train, right? They try and go... Like, they try and get as close to sex as they can without pulling away. Oh, that was my entire college experience. <laughs> uh, catch Vince this weekend in the Catskills. The Borscht Belt doing his uh, his one-man show about his college experience. <laughs> Why am I on the airplane when I'm in the airplane? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was thinking about this, not about Vince's college sex life, but about this comic earlier today. And... Do you guys think that there's okay? So part of what made Suicide Squad so great when John Ostrander was writing it in the late '80s and early '90s was it was so unlike anything else that was happening in comics. Is there something that could be done to make the Suicide Squad interesting right now, or do we just have to table this concept for a while? Yeah, it can be more fun and not like actively trying to be very ugly and and loud and like everyone is screaming all the time in this book. And I just don't think that that including the hormones. Am I right? Whoa. Now who's the hacky comedian? Yeah. Did you bring any props with you, Brian? Uh, if you were here, I'd say, yeah, this prop in my pocket, I pull out a middle finger, but, uh, (laughs) you're not here. So I can't do that to you. Uh, Well, I got, I got it. So it was good. It was a good gag, solid gag. Um, no, uh, yeah, like I think, I think a Suicide Squad book can be fun, but this is just not. Nothing about this is fun. It's just loud and like really unfunny Harley Quinn jokes the whole time, and just really tacky and and just yeah. I don't. I don't know, man. Needs more banana splits. Yes, it does. <laughs> You're not wrong. They're they're not really like. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're not really serving the force of being or serving the purpose of being a, ta- a like a task force, are they? Like they're not really doing that in any of these issues. Uh, no, I guess the first arc kind of had that. Kinda. It's, it seems a lot more like it's just like a bunch of infighting and like politics against Amanda Waller and like, yeah, a little of that is always going to be inherent to Suicide Squad, but like, I'm not getting a sense of any momentum with this book. I agree with that. Let's not waste any more time on it. Well, it's not. It's bad. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to a book that is decidedly not bad, and that is Supergirl being super, number three. Oh. The third of four oversized um, prestige format books written by Mariko Tamaki and illustrated by Joelle Jones. Uh, this is a very, very different take on Supergirl, but I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's, I mean, all the stuff I said last time applies. It's, 
it's complete it's just completely different not what you not what you would expect and just so full of heart yeah yeah and uh, yeah it, it is like really cool because i mean i think one of the at least early on and i mean i guess we the last issue was kind of like it's a one-off thing sort of but like the the current supergirl book is very um reminiscent and like kind of sort of dependent on the show whereas this is very much its own cool thing and and like i appreciate that i like that a lot and the art's so good joelle jones is something special yeah I uh, I did not see the big reveal coming of who the villain has been, but that's not a bad thing. It's just something I didn't see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Buy this book, folks. It's good. Um, let's see. Brings us to Teen Titans number seven, written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Koi Fam. Uh, this is the the last issue leading up to the Lazarus contract, which starts in uh, two weeks. This was the first issue where we saw Aqualad uh, interact with the Titans in any real way. And uh, what did you guys think of it? Man, Damien can uh, be a dick sometimes. Yep. And not the Grayson kind. Nope. Damien was... Very harsh in this, and um, and I know that was the point, but I really felt bad for. I guess that's I guess that's really effective writing by by Percy, even if it's kind of like over the top and and on the nose. Like, regardless, he made me feel really bad for Jackson Hyde. Yeah, and that makes him already one of the one of the young sort of Teen Titans young DC characters that I'm invested in the most now because like I want him to succeed you know it really worked to do that but god I felt like sick to my stomach actually with the way that Damien was treating him um just knowing like clearly how like rejected um I mean he's a he's a gay youth right so like that can be really difficult obviously <laughs> i feel like i'm not <laughs> not breaking any news here but um but yeah oh man they, he percy did a great job of making you feel for that yeah and i think koi fam's art has really settled into a nice groove on this book yeah yeah i agree he's good match for this book a lot and like where has this been percy been <laughs> you know yeah i actually think just to kind of sort of close the book on the koi fam thing i think his art fits better than john boy myers would have fit yeah oh, definitely i, I yeah. think we've said that before yeah uh that brings us to the final book of the week wonder woman number 21 written by greg rucka illustrated by liam sharp and uh liam sharp continues to do really really great work on this book I've been really impressed with his work throughout Rebirth, but the more I see of it, the more I enjoy it. I just think his his stuff has a real... Um, 
he he gives Diana a real uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for is a real grace to her movements. Everything seems powerful, but also very graceful. And I'm I'm really enjoying what he's doing with with her specifically when she is in action or preparing for action. Yeah, definitely. And I like the way that this is this is this Wonder Woman run has been a slow burn to be sure. Um it's going to end up being a 24 issue thing with Rucka that with some diversions here and there has felt pretty much like one solid story that moves in a really slow burn fashion, right? Would you agree? Yeah. But I feel like the payoff is you can feel the payoff coming and it is almost here. And he's got what, three issues left. I, can, 25 is his last issue. 20. Okay. 25. Okay. So you can, but you can, regardless, you can feel that payoff coming and you know that it's just a couple issues away. And so you can start to see like some of the ties between the two series coming together and his overall like thesis on Diana like coming to fruition and that's becoming really satisfying and i feel like i feel like not not because i feel like i missed anything and not because like i didn't understand anything because i i i've been with this book very solidly the whole way through but i feel like if i were to go back and read it from the start again you would see the pieces coming together a lot earlier. Yes. And I, I'm really interested in doing that someday when we're not reading a million books a week. Yeah. I also think it'll be interesting to read it, not reading the two stories alternating, but to sure. read like all of the lies and then all of the truth or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zach, anything to add? No, I'm, I'm, really like happy with how this book is shaping up and you know i'm a little sad to see rucka go but i like that he's getting to tell this kind of complete concise story over the course of a year i think you know as much as i loved the azarello run i think this could end up maybe being like a maybe not necessarily more more important but possibly more definitive Wonder Woman run? To me, this might wind up being an inferior comic, but a superior Wonder Woman comic. Yeah. Yeah. I I can totally get behind that. All right, folks, that does it. That wraps up another long show. We've been having long shows lately. Hopefully you guys are okay with that. Um, but thanks for listening. We do appreciate it. We'll be back next week with The Button Part 3. And uh, you can follow the three of us on Twitter to, uh, to catch up with us until then. You'll be seeing lots of sad Mets tweets from me for a while. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm, I'm at, at Surf... Oh, oh, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm at SirFox89. I'm at VJ underscore... Oh, wait. Huh? Wait. VJ underscore <laughs> O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. Sorry draft poisoning in my brain uh when can folks effectively unmute you about draft stuff oh 
Um, well, it's going to be over Saturday at like three, four, five in the afternoon. Evening. But the, but this drops on Wednesday. So are, are they safe now? Oh, they'll be safe. Yeah, they'll be okay. safe. You'll only have to deal with um, my regular brand of nonsense. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so until next time, thanks for listening, folks. Talk to you soon.